Hello, I'm Emily Grace, and welcome to the Stages podcast of Bernstein Private Wealth Management. Life throws lots of challenges at us. We're here to analyze them. Having helped dynamic families prioritize what makes money meaningful for them and then invest for that purpose for close to 20 years now, I've seen people through countless markets and life events. And while every market is different, as we're witnessing with the current pandemic, what remains constant is the need for guidance and advice through the uncertainty. Helping people navigate the markets and introducing them to some of the smartest investment minds and experts in other fields, whatever the stage in their life, is a real honor. If you or someone you know would like advice or an introduction to my guest, you can reach me at emily.grace at bernstein.com. As we enter the fourth quarter and look back on this year where we focused on safety, security, and the metamorphosis that comes from living through a global pandemic, I've been hearing from many of you about the moments of magic that you are working into your everyday life during this time. You've told me about the time spent with family, the excitement of a new venture, and finding new ways to celebrate important milestones. It got me thinking that in finance, as in life, there's so much connection to magic, the timing, the rhythm, the focus, the illusion. So I decided to go to the source today and have invited illusionist and mentalist Wayne Hoffman to join me on stage. Multi-award winning performer Wayne Hoffman is recognized as one of the top mentalists in the world. Pre-COVID-19, he toured the world with his stage show, Mind Candy, and his motivational speech, The Power and Potential of the Human Mind. He is also the author of the best-selling book, Mind Candy, and has appeared on countless television shows, including America's Got Talent. Wayne's passion for the mysterious was sparked at a young age and led him to study the art of magic. Later, through extensive self-studies in sociology, psychology, and human behavior, Wayne was able to develop the foundation of his skills today. Wayne, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to have you here. Now, what made you decide to become a magician, you know, an illusionist, mentalist, and then actually follow through on it? I'm sure there are many people who decide it's what they want to do, but the sort of how did, what made you actually then do it? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I started doing this as a hobby and then it, it eventually turned into a career. I just, I did it for fun. You know, I started performing magic when I was a child, went to a magic shop and hung out with other mentalists and illusionists and magicians. And then, uh, you know, from there, it just, people started to offer to pay me to perform. And I thought to myself, wow, maybe I could turn this into a, a profession. But it was really just a natural love for the mysterious and magic that just naturally developed into a, uh, a career. And were you, were you pursuing a different career before you decided to turn this into a, into a profession? You know, I, I uh, was fortunate enough that I got into it at an early age. I was 10 when I really started to get into it. Between 10 and 15, I did it as a hobby. And of course, you didn't need uh, a job <laughs> at that age. No. Uh, so then between 15 and 18 is when people started to offer to pay me. Wow. And that's all I ever, I, that's, this is all I've ever done. So once I hit 18, you know, around the time when you start to think about jobs and careers and what you're going to do with your life. I pretty much already had mindset, you know, at that same time, I, that's when I, I started studying uh, psychology at a university. And while I'm studying, I'm also performing. 
and, uh, you know, it blossomed into, to, you know, now what is it, a global uh, career. Did, did you ever think sort of when people were coming to you at sort of like 15, 16, 17, 18 years of age saying, here, we'll pay you to perform, did you still think, and then you, you clearly went and studied psychology. So at that point, did you still think it was something tent you know, temporary or... You know, I went through an interesting phase where uh, everyone around me was telling me, you know, get, you know, you got to get a real job here, you know, start thinking rationally, you know, and, and I had actually submitted an application to work for a bank to be a sales representative and I was offered the job. Uh, and they said you passed all of our tests and you we think you, you would be great doing it. Uh, and I had to make the decision, you know, I was put up against the wall. Do I do a career that the world is telling me I need to do? Or do I follow what I really love doing and what I'm, a, what I'm passionate about that I can see some potential to earn income with? And I don't know what it was, but it, you know, I, I took that route. Uh, the, I basically ran away and joined the circus. <laughs> you, know, you used the word passion. What, a, what advice would you have for other people who are listening? or who knows somebody you know, with, a, with a passion, what advice would you have to them as they're trying to think about maybe following their passion? Uh, it's, not even, it's not even an option uh, to, to not follow your passion. Whether you wanna do it for a career or not, you're going to engage with it because if it's truly a passion, if you look at the definition of what passion means, if you really have that feeling and the, uh, the, the psychological and emotional attachment to whatever it is, whether it's knitting, playing the guitar, golfing, I don't care what it is that you do, you're automatically going to be driven toward that. Um, whether you capitalize on that from a financial perspective is a different story. But the interesting thing is a lot of people pursue things that they're not passionate about, which is great because it often will pay the bills, it'll provide for your family, although it might be a difficult job or something you don't want to do. But if you look at the other side of it, and I think this, is, this holds true to why I was able to gather so much success doing something so you know, niche and, and different, um, when you're passionate about something, it allows you to get through the difficult times. Uh, if you really truly love something and you hear the word no, it doesn't matter. Uh, then you start to collect no's. And, and that's one of the things that I teach in my motivational speech and I, that I've written in my book. I love hearing the word no. No is just a piece of information. It doesn't mean, no, I'm not good enough. No, uh, I'm a bad person. If somebody doesn't wanna hire me or they don't wanna book me to do a certain event, that's absolutely fine. And my passion and love for what I do uh, is what keeps me going through the tough times. And, you know, if you look at the current state of affairs right now, we're going through a pandemic, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I still love what I do. And it's like electricity. It'll find the path of least resistance and it'll always find a way to shine through. Uh, and that's where I, you know, I created my virtual show based upon that love, that, that you know, inner need to do what it is that I truly, truly love. So I would, I would advise you if you have a passion, uh, know that that's the very first step to creating something uh, magical, no pun intended, but you know, where, where you can create something absolutely amazing for yourself in the world. Start with that passion and then, you know, then it's all business tactics. If you want to start yeah. making income from it, how to do that.
Because it's interesting, I could see that if you had gone down the road of banker, I could see you trying to find ways to work magic, right, and illusion and mentalist into that world, you yeah. know, to, to really sort of work it all together. And how do you find that being a magician impacts the rest of your life? You know, it's great. Magic as a general art form is, first and foremost, it's a great icebreaker. And I don't care what you do. If you do magic as a hobby, it helps you meet people. Um, it, it can make awkward situations more fun. You know, if you walk into a business meeting and, you know, you grab your pen to sign a paper and it magically disappears and reappears, you've already broken down a barrier with whoever's in the room. And you bring people down to that childlike sense of wonder that we all have within ourselves that we don't often get to access. And when you do that and you, and you, and you take us out, we, here's the thing, we are all actors playing the part of an adult. You know, we, <laughs> we, we get in the moment, you know, stay in our lane because we have to, but you know, we love having fun. We're social creatures. We love playtime, whether it's, you know, golfing as an adult or swimming or whatever your playtime is, you know, uh, I think magic takes us back to that. So it helps in social situations. It helps in business. Um, and it helps to bright, brighten up someone's day. You know, if I, if I go to a, f a little food store and I do a quick trick with a dollar bill, that person smiles. And when I leave there, I know I've made their day even minutely better. Um, so, so I think, uh, you know, it, and then it has its other advantages. Like if I fly somewhere and I want to get that upgrade on that international flight and I happen to do something really cool for the person at the gate, you know, it's, it's amazing how, if you do a quick magic trick, how, how you can magically get that upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say you could just like magically shift your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fine line between magic and illegal. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you do you always know when someone's lying? And if so, how how do your wife and kids feel about that? <laughs> uh, I I've actually written a guide uh, on Wayne Hoffman's Guide to Catching a Liar, and it was a brief kind of overview on it. And the answer is yes. I know more often than the average person. Am I, you know, am I infallible and get it every time? No, of course I'm human. Um, but most certainly, I mean, I've spent the past 23 years of my life studying these things. So, you know, if you look at, um, you know, lie detection, obviously there, there's the, the, there's the aspect of reading a person, you know, and then there's the polygraph test and so on and so forth. Um, there's no exact science in it. You can't say, oh, if you look up and to the left, it means you're lying. There's no hardcore, si hardcore science. But, you know, I teach interrogation techniques to trial lawyers to teach them how to catch a person lying on a stand. Uh, and I definitely have an advantage uh, to it. What am I, uh, better half and, and the kids think? I, I think I think they're a little more honest when they're around. No, me. I didn't eat the cookie, Dad. <laughs> yeah, you know, I might know because of the crumbs, but you yeah. can tell from like the eyes. Yeah, sometimes if you if you have chocolate and crumbs around your face, and and I ask you if you ate a cookie, <laughs> you know, there's there's telltale signs that give it away. But yeah, I think again to to sum it up, I do definitely have an advantage, and I think. Um, the people that hang out with me on a regular basis know that. Uh, and I think, I think I'd like to think they're a little, you know, wise 
Are you allowed to play poker with them? Uh, it's funny. Nobody wants to play <laughs> poker with me. I actually, uh, in, 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 I, last night, as a matter of fact, I was watching uh, Daniel Negreanu give a class on uh, poker play, and I, I study poker. Obviously, it's a, just a, it's a, it's a fun game for for someone yes. in my field. Uh, but nobody ever wants to play cards with me, you know, granted my, my ability to read people combined with, you know, almost two decades of experience with sleight of hand, yes. there's no point. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not doing anything, they're going to assume that I am. So. Maybe we need like a table of magicians and mentalists playing together, right? Put that on TV. <laughs> I, think, I think if that happened, a black hole would form as well. <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll, steer, we'll steer clear of that. <laughs> Now, you were talking about sort of reading people and sleight of hand. I guess when you're doing things, right, when you're doing your show or talking with people, how do you use timing and, and pregnant pauses? You know, how do you use that to keep people engaged? And I guess, how do, you, how do you then distract them? And are there ways that, you know, our listeners can be thinking about using these in their lives? It's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, I love, there's a, a quote, you may or may not have heard this, and, it, and that is uh, this. The silence between the notes in music is just as important as the notes themselves. And right there's a prime example, that pause after you say something poignant. I think timing as a general concept is what drives the rhythm of our lives. Um, you know, your timing in the decisions that you make, the timing of things when they surreptitiously arrive into your life and how you handle them, uh, the timing on stage as an entertainer are all important facets, especially in my world. So timing is something, any entertainer, any great entertainer will tell you, timing is of the essence. Because uh, look at a comedian, for example. If they tell a joke and the timing is off in their delivery, you don't get the laugh, you don't get the payoff, you don't get you don't get the thing that you're there to do, you know. Right. The feedback, um, but yeah, absolutely. And and what I like to do is create kind of an emotional arc throughout all of my shows, whether it's live, whether it's virtual, whether I'm doing a you know a, a motivational speech or if I'm performing on stage, it doesn't matter. I think you you have to take into consideration a few things. Number one, how the human mind processes information. Uh, you can't let people drink from a fire hose because they won't digest what you're saying. If you want people to really listen and really pay attention, you have to have those, you know, those, those pauses, those moments for people to digest. And at the same time, the rhythm from an entertainment standpoint has got to be there. You got to deliver that punchline right on time. You have to also know when to make someone laugh, when to make someone be introspective and so on and so forth. So yeah, I mean, I think as an entertainer and as a human being, timing is one of the, the most important aspects. It's interesting because I think that's one way that sort of what I do in finance and what we do at Bernstein is very similar to the idea of magic, right? Timing is so much. And while we say that it's not about timing the market per se, you know, I think about the fact there's a company listing today for the first time on the exchange. And you're know, thinking about like, when do you trade it? And how do you think about it? You know, our traders, I liken them to, to silent ninjas. 
because they, you know, they're out there trying to move really big blocks, really big positions without impacting the market. So they don't want anybody to know they're moving them while they move them, because then you get people trying to, you know, go against you. And yeah. so, you know, so as you're talking through this, all I keep thinking about is this idea, like, oh my gosh, like that's what our traders do, right? That's what we're doing when we think about like the research behind a company is how the timing can impact all of it. Yeah, it's right? a universal thing. It's a universal uh, tool. And if wielded wisely by a professional, whether you're uh, a mentalist, an illusionist, or if you're dealing with, uh, you know, wealth and finances, uh, timing is key to success. It's definitely one of the primary pillars, especially, you know, obviously in my art form. Yes, because <laughs> I think about, you know, the last six months even, oh my gosh, it's longer now, eight months, whatever it is, living through this pandemic, right, this global pandemic. We all talk about how our sense of sort of time was off, that there was sort of almost, you talked about if we got all those magicians together at a table, right, the black hole, right, there was sort of like this black hole of the planet and where everybody is and what everybody's doing. So clearly the pandemic has shaken everyone's world, right? And everybody had to sort of rethink how they were doing things and how time worked in their life and what they were doing. So how did you go about making that shift from performing in person to performing remotely? Yeah, great question. So uh, as you can imagine, doing what I do and performing live shows, I was, you know, flying up to, you know, I feel like it was, I feel like it was a, an endless number of flights per week going from city to city to city. I mean, my, my travel schedule, I, you know, I would be in, you know, the Netherlands one day and Paris the next, Chicago the next, then over to London. I mean, I was really just all over the place performing for, for these events. And so when everything kind of stopped, I, I think it was March 16th, I, I believe it was around that time. Okay. I got, I remember within one hour, I got eight notifications, emails, calls, of cancellations saying these events are no longer taking place and I started to think wow this is going to change everything it's going to change you know obviously my career so I really relied on my history in radio uh, when I travel and I do publicly ticketed shows at theaters as well when I would do that I would often visit a radio morning show and read listeners minds over the phone Wait, so over had, the phone? Yeah, so listeners <laughs> would call in and I would, you know, tell them what color shoes they're wearing, tell them their dog's name and like really insane, impossible things. You know, that's the basis of my show as a mentalist. I, I know things uh, in, a, in, a, in a magical way. So I, would t I took that and with the advent of technology, I was trying to think, okay, how can I serve people utilizing the virtual space? And is that a viable market and would people want to do it? You know, uh, barring the first maybe week of day drinking and pondering my life, <laughs> I think that we all kind of went through, maybe not all of us, but a large majority, especially in the events industry. I mean, the events industry was, was, was annihilated and to this day is really, you know, there, you know, if you look at caterers and florists and sound technicians and lighting guys and event planners and performers and bands, musicians, comedians, this whole industry 
are, they're not working because we're, they're, they're, yeah, their, their finances and their earned income relies on large gatherings of people. Uh, you know, you look at the sports industry, the NBA, the MLB. I partnered with the Philadelphia Phillies for the past 15 to 20 years as an entertainment partner. And we helped produce things like the, the Philly Fanatics birthday on field in front of 38,000 people, you know, producing these spectacular events and, you know, where their go-to source for entertainment. You know, even they shuttered. No more fans coming to, to the stadium. So the entertainment industry halted. So I started to analyze, okay, People uh, still need to be happy. They need to experience fun things. Companies out there want to have events for their employees. Uh, companies want to have events for their clients. So how can I fill that need? You know, so I reached out to people in the, the tech world and said, how, you know, what technology exists that would allow me to serve my clients and serve my customers um, and still do what I do? Again, I have to say there was a little luck in, in my personal story because what I do translates perfectly through a camera as it does live. I can still read your mind right here through the screen. If I can see you and hear you, I can still do my job. Uh, and it translates- Turning off the camera now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have things to hide. Just like, oh, don't worry, I won't reveal your secret. I'm just yeah, kidding. You know, and then I, I took that route. I, I relied on professionals to help me create you know, the tech and, and just took what I do, um, crossed my fingers, and lo and behold, there was a market for it. Were you so nervous with that first remote show? Absolutely. <laughs> so you're human. So you oh, are yeah. human. <laughs> you can imagine. I thought, what am I going to do? You know, it's the how, how do it, it, a lot of things that you might not think of, like even just the concept of applause. Do we yes. keep muted, but then I won't hear applause? And that's that personal gratification you get. You know, you want to hear people clap and say, good job. That's their yes. you that they're enjoying themselves. So do you devoid yourself of that? But then you have audio problems if, you know, we did a live stream, 75,000 people, you know, if they're all talking and <laughs> clapping and their dogs are barking and they're eating chips, you know, you won't be able to hear what I'm saying. So you yes. had, you know, that first one really, really was, you know, it was like, I felt like I was stepping on the stage for the first time. <laughs> right, the really, really putting yourself out there. Do yeah. you think, do you think that there are parts of how you've transitioned that you will continue to incorporate into your business, into your practice, into your magic once this pandemic is over? Or do you think it will go back to sort of just the way it was? I mean, assuming the world, can, right, like that you would just be on the plane constantly, or do you think that this is a new you know, adjustment? Yeah, yeah so uh, I believe, believe, believe it or not, uh, the world has changed. Uh, yeah. The world has changed permanently. This is a, a scar, not a scar, because that, that denotes it has a negative connotation. I would say uh, we have evolved as uh, human beings. We're becoming more cyborg-like. You know, there's, if you have a, a smartphone in your pocket right now, and if you've checked it more than once today, then, you, then you're in the zone as well. Um, events have changed. The event industry has changed. What's going to happen uh, in my opinion, is things will hopefully uh, and more than likely go back to what we consider to be the norm of having live events where we're able to socialize, uh, you know, but a new market has been created. 
and I think people are realizing the viability of hosting events virtually now. So what I, I believe is going to happen is we are social creatures. We will need to be in front of people to give each other that hug or that handshake and have that eye to eye contact in person. Uh, but there will be strictly virtual events that take place because I think a lot of corporations are also seeing how they can save money. Yep. <laughs> the finances are there. Wow, <laughs> we didn't spend $600,000 on this event this year and we have that uh, you know, to put toward other things. So there's a financial component, but there also is a new market of hybrid events, which is the new uh, birth child of this pandemic where you're going to still have that live event where you might have, you know, 40%, 50%, 60%, 70% of your, of your attendees, but the other percentage of them will be joining remotely, virtually, yes. and they're going to still have those experiences. So that's what I foresee. I think that, I, I think you're right. I think we'll see that, and our analysts are saying we're going to see that across the board, across industries, that there will be parts that stick and parts that, that sort of evolve. Now, for those, you know, as we're thinking about sort of the year ahead and people are starting to talk about finding magic in moments, you know, what advice do you have for someone who would like to work a little more magic into their everyday life? Uh, you know, magic is based upon one thing and that is perception. And I think you have to first define what magic is to you. People say, is magic real? Well, that depends on your definition of magic. If magic is something you find on the back of a cereal box, then no. But if magic is you know, something more akin to seeing snow for the first time, that sense of wonder you feel, uh, you know, I think then you have a better concept of, and, of what I believe magic is. So magic is perception. And I think everyone needs to take a moment of pause first and foremost and give attention and be more mindful of their inner self and their childlike sense of wonder. Um, and, and really magic isn't something that happens to you, it happens from you. I don't perform magic. I do things and the magic happens within the mind and the heart of the viewer watching. Uh, so I, I, my advice to people would be take doable conscious actions to put yourself in a position to be able to perceive and experience your own magic whether that is scheduling time to go walk in the woods that you haven't done go to that special place you remember as being a kid um stop making excuses of why you didn't take that trip uh, that feeling that you've been having for the past several years to call that person and amend your relationship that maybe was tarnished a little bit or ruined, uh, take that action because in that, those real moments is where the actual real magic is taking place. Um, so that's more of a, an internal dialogue you'll have to yes. have with yourself. And But finally, go out and see real magic and see performers <laughs> and see, you know, visually stunning things, you know. So wait, wait, people don't have to go out. They can, they can stay home and see real magic <laughs> now. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, you don't even have to go out. So, so uh, I think define what magic is to you and set yourself up logistically to be able to experience it more often. I think that's, that's what I'm hearing from people, right? That I think that this, this, I mean, it's been an insane period 2020, but people have had time to sort of at moments stop and think and be in one place 
versus you know jumping from thing to thing and that's where they're starting to to see the magic and notice notice these connections yeah even myself i mean time off of the road i was on the road eight months out of the year at least traveling and now being in one place for six months i don't even know what to do so when i got into that uh, state i actually found myself going back to the things that i love now my hobby became my career. So then what do I do for a hobby? So I enjoy painting. Now, not many people know that about me, but I do uh, acrylic paintings. And I found myself making more time to do things like that. And I think anybody that's uh, slowed down a bit and spent more time at home, you found uh, things that you love doing and are able to explore them once again. You've also experienced your kids crying and, your <laughs> and other annoying you more often uh, and so on and so forth. But there's also the, the other side to it as well, which is the uh, journey of self-discovery. Now I've got one final question for you. Okay. <laughs> Drum roll, please. In one word, the question that all of my listeners want the answer to today, where will the stock market end the year? <laughs> I bet all your clients would love to know. I will say this. Um, I, you would be absolutely surprised at how many people come to me and ask me for stock tips jokingly. And when I give them those tips, they don't listen to me because they think I'm joking. And, you know, a year later, six months later, I, uh, they'll call me up and go, you were right. And I, said, I told you so. I mean, if, if half the people would have listened to me many, many moons ago, uh, you know, they, they would be, let's say, a lot happier and more set when it comes to their finances than, than they. Than now, I would say what we would need is for them to listen to you on both sides, because as we talk about timing, you know, it seems that you've told people when to buy, but then they need to come back and find out from you when to sell. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. So we just need to form a relationship. You know, I need to be on speed dial is what it boils Absolutely. <laughs> so, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce you to our, uh, to our traders, to our portfolio managers. No, no, no. I'm not sure that we're actually going to be repositioning our portfolios with, you know, <laughs> calling up Wayne to find out what to do. But... <laughs> What I do know is how much I love speaking with Wayne today, how much I love speaking with you. And I've loved seeing you in action during your shows, you know, whether with my kids or on my own, it's really been phenomenal. Well, I also you. know that, that magic and illusion makes our lives better. And well, thank you. I, I agree. I agree. I, I, I live it. You know, magic became my life and my life became magic because of that sentiment. So I appreciate it and I'm glad you agree. It's so true. And I'm looking forward to, to staying in touch with Wayne. I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing from all of you, all of my listeners, how you are working more magic into your lives. You know, as we go into the holiday, as we go into the year end, you know, how you're thinking about magic in your life and, and noticing it. Because at the end of the day, it really is finding the magic in life and then planning for all the stages in our life that's so crucial. So if you'd like to speak with me, my family engagement team, one of my investment strategists, or Wayne, you can reach me at emily.grace at bernstein.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Have a great day. <laughs>